Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing, for she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old, and when Hagar, bore Ish, uh, excuse me, when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Pronunciations on point. Good job. <laughs> well, good morning. Uh, as Matt uh, mentioned, yes, my name is uh, Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I have a... Uh, little house church in San Marcos, a um, little crowded house that, uh, that meets midweek. Um, and uh, yeah, so we are continuing our, um, our church life series and um, how we as a church can love our neighbors. And wow, what a story uh, Jason just read. Uh, I don't know if you're following along. I mean, it kind of uh, got, uh, got a little heavy. And um, yeah, and when... At first glance, we see this story, we're like, whoa, this is a crazy story. This is insane. It seems to condone slavery, demeans women, and um, wow, what's this doing in the Bible, <laughs> right? Um, so at first glance, we may think of that. Um, however, after digging into it, uh, I think it's in there for a very important reason, and, um, and we'll see what, what that's all about. Uh, but first, I want to I take a look at the three main characters that are in this story. Right? We have um, Abram, we have Sarai, and Hagar. And Abram, the name Abram in Hebrew means father. Now, if you're reading along in the story here, he doesn't have any children, but his name's father, right? Could you imagine your name is father, but you don't have any kids? Well, God obviously changes that if you know the story of Abram and Sarah. Um, he becomes a father, and 
His name is changed to Abraham, which means father of many. Sarai, her name is argumentative. Now, could you imagine being a young girl and your dad names you argumentative? You're like, thanks, dad. You know, is this the relationship that you're going to cultivate with me? Argumentative? Maybe. However, God changes her name to Princess Sarah. And Hagar, her name means forsaken. Forsaken. Could you imagine being named forsaken? But I think this is really important for us to see at the get-go when we look at the story of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar because it reveals something uh, about their relationships with one another, their relationship with God, and how the roles that they play um, in history. And kids, if, if, if you're here and you're hearing me, um, ask your parents, hey, what does my name mean? Right? That's your homework this week, right? When we get, when we get back from uh, um, at home from church, go, hey, what does my name mean? I want to know what that means. Okay, so that's your homework today. So, first of all, we want to see something really important about this story. The author here is giving us a glimpse into the history of Abraham, and actually it even goes further back. There's a deep connection with this story and the story at the very beginning of the Bible of Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, where you have Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And there's a deep connection there because what does Adam and Eve do in the garden? God says, hey, you can eat of any tree in the garden except for this one tree. Don't eat of this tree. However, Eve sees the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. She takes the fruit and she gives it to her husband. And we see this pattern unfolding in history. And because of this pattern, because we see this disobedience of, of Eve and of Sarah in the Bible, it begins this downward spiral in society. There's this launching forward of rebellion in society. And we see that. And we experience that here today. And as a result... Of this downward spiral, because of what Sarah and Eve have done throughout history, we see our first point here, if, uh, if you're taking notes, number one, is that in one way or another, we're all a slave. We're all a slave. And we'll see this as we take a look at our first character, Hagar. So she came into the story um, from Egypt. Now, if you remember the story of Abraham and Sarah, um, they were on this journey. God calls them out, and he says, I will make you a father of many nations, and you will be a blessing to the entire world. Right now, you don't have any kids, but I'm going to give you kids. And not only that, but they are going to be multiplied like the sands in the sea, like the stars in the sky, and you and your descendants will be a blessing to the entire world Abraham, it is going to be awesome. So, he believes God. He goes out on this journey. However, nothing happens in 10 years. Could you imagine God gives you a promise, and then within 10 years, absolutely nothing has happened. Nothing has happened. So what comes about? Sarai has a plan. I got this plan. God needs some help. So here's the plan. I'm going to take my servant and I'm going to give her to my husband. And he will sleep with her, and we will have kids. 
through my servant. Wow. Now, in their day, this was common. This was common practice. It would be like just having a surrogate today. It was totally legal. It happened regularly. There was no issue with it at all. However, even though that was the case, God never condoned it at all whatsoever. And in fact, whenever it did happen, whenever there was this secondary wife coming into play, it always went bad. Always went bad. Always went downhill. That continues that downward spiral. So Sarah took her maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband. Now, it's a little tricky here. When we read this passage in Scripture where it says that Sarah gave Hagar, her, her maidservant, to her husband, Abram. Now, when we think of that word maidservant, in my mind at least, I think of like a Downton Abbey type of maidservant, right? She's in the kitchen downstairs, right? She's got her own quarters, and you know, she's got a day off here, and she gets paid pretty decent. She's got some status in society or whatever. Not here. No, no. See, the English translation here doesn't give us the most clear picture. Maidservant means slave. She was a slave. She was obtained when they were kicked out of Egypt by Pharaoh when Abraham tried to pass off his wife as a sister. I don't know if you remember that story. That's also an interesting story, right? And um, so they gain Hagar as a slave to them. So she was a slave. Sarai is a slave owner. There was no discussion. It was basically, here, Abram, here's my slave. Sleep with her. That was the conversation that took place. That's what was happening in this story. So Hagar is actually treated like a thing, something to be used. And so no wonder in verse 4, when Hagar saw that she had conceived she looked with contempt on her mistress. You see, Hagar now has this newfound dignity in her life. Hagar now has this worth associated with who she is. Her life is no longer this subservient level of of, of a human being, but rather now she can do something that her master cannot do. But Sarah realizes this. She realizes this, that her slave is now looking at her straight in the eye. And there's this deep tension that Hagar and Sarah is now developing. You see, in Asian cultures during this time, right, there's, uh, even now, right, you don't look your superior in the eye. You're always looking down. But then all of a sudden, Hagar starts to look at Sarai right in the eyes. And what does Sarai do? In verse 6, it says that Sarai dealt harshly with her. She dealt harshly with her. Now, again, the English language here kind of PGs this up a little bit. What happens is is that this word, dealt harshly, is the same exact word that is used in Genesis when, um, um, when the Egyptians' slave masters are dealing harshly with the Hebrew slaves, to try to make them work harder. They beat them. Sarai beat Hagar. So you thought it was bad just reading it just in you know, modern-day English, but when you get into the Hebrew, it's even worse. 
It's even worse. You're like, whoa, this is heavy. This is heavy. So no wonder Hagar fled from Sarah. She took off. She's gone. You see, sometimes, sometimes we, pe- we see people, unfortunately, through these same eyes as, as objects, as things to be used. Maybe there's a relationship that we're in. Maybe there's a dating relationship or a marriage or, or a friend relationship that we have. And, and the reason why we're in this relationship is because we're expecting something out of it. We're expecting to get something. And as soon as we no longer get what we want out of it, then, then we bolt. We're gone. And so this is the type of, of seeing that, that Abraham and, and Sarah is doing to Hagar. But Hagar is not the only slave in the story. When we look at the life of Sarah, even though she is the cause of this abuse, she too is a slave. Sarah can't have kids. She's what the scriptures call barren. Now, in her culture, there's nothing that could be more worse than for a woman to not have kids. I mean, like that was your purpose in life, was to have kids, have offspring, to have heirs in the family, right? To have multiple kids so that they can contribute to the, the family trade, whether it was, um, you know, farming or, or if, if, if it was some sort of trade that, um, you know, some commerce that was, that was happening, um, you know, throughout a trade route, they were trading, they were traveling. You, you had to have multiple kids to take care of the business, and in order to do that, you had to have a, a wife that was able to produce kids. And when, when you can't do that as a woman, you were treated as defective, as worthless. And so there was something going on in her heart. There was something that was happening to her that she is now a slave to, to her own culture, to, to the society that is putting these um, expectations on her. So in desperation, just like Eve, she takes matters into her own hands. And sometimes we can't really blame her for that. But what happens when Hagar, her servant, becomes pregnant? Sarah feels even worse. She thought that, hey, this is going to solve all my problems. I am now going to have a, a, a child uh, uh, through the surrogacy of my servant, and now everything is going to to be great, but no, 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 it just gets worse. She just continually is reminded of her own deficiency every time she sees her servant pregnant. And so this plays out in verse 5, where she bursts in and says to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looks on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between me and you. Wow. Wow. Kind of, kind of not fair. I mean, like she came up with this plan, right? Sarah's just ticked off. It's irrational what she's saying. The rawness of her emotions is, is, is coming out. She literally says, right, she's like, I gave you my servant you did with her what you pleased, and now look what's happening. We've got all this, all this tension happening now in our lives, in our marriage, because of you, Abraham. 
You see, Sarah is also a victim of her culture, the society that enforces it. She, too, is enslaved. And so right now, you might be thinking, like, wow, that was, that was rough back then. I'm so glad we don't have those types of expectations today, right, on women, on children, on our marriage. But do we? Do we have these unmet expectations that are coming from culture, that are coming from outside? How often do we look at our Instagram feed and we see these pretty pictures of of families all put together and then we have this sense of unmet expectation that culture is putting on us? Maybe maybe we might go, hey, you know what? We're going to push back against that. And so I'm going to be a part of this subgroup that doesn't even placate to any of those expectations. Well, the problem is is that sometimes those subgroups then have expectations that we need to meet. You see, every unchecked culture will find some way to put an enslavement on people. Now, there's a third slave in this story, Abraham. Now, in this story, we see Sarah saying, here, go sleep with my slave. And in verse 2, Abram listened to the voice of his wife, Sarai. Literally, it says, Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. This is the same exact wording again in Genesis chapter 3 where, Abra, or where um, Adam hearkened to the voice of his wife, Eve. You see, there's a pattern happening here in Genesis started with Adam and Eve continues with Abraham, where Abraham is hearkening to his wife. Now, some of you deeds might be thinking, well, that's the problem, right? He's listening to his wife. You're like, boy, right? Watch your side, right? You're going to get the elbow right next to you. You better have a comfortable couch. No, 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 no. That's not the point. That is not the point of what he's trying to say here. The point is, is just like Adam, Abraham is believing a lie. There's a lie that is being perpetuated. There's a lie that is being put in front of him. What is that lie? The lie is God forgot about you. God forgot about what is going on. He forgot about his promise. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about your needs. He doesn't care about the hurt and the pain that's happening in your lives. That's a lie. God is not powerful enough to come through with his promise. God can't do it. What does God need? God needs your help. God needs your help. You need to do it in your own power. You need to do it in your own strength. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like you're sitting there and you're like, where, God, where are you? Here I am in this pain and you're doing nothing. That's the lie that is being perpetuated. Nothing could be further from the truth. You see, Paul writes in Galatians chapter 4, Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one from a slave woman and one from the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but the son from the free woman was born as a result of a promise. These things may be taken figuratively. You see, there's two paths we can walk. We can walk down the path of Hagar. 
where we do it within our own power, our own ability, our own sufficiency. We do it the easy way because we know that Hagar can have children. We think of it that way. Or secondly, we receive God's blessings through Sarah, which is a complete act of grace. There was nothing that Abraham and Sarah can do. They just had to wait on the Lord and wait for a miracle that God would perform in their lives. In other words, Hagar is the way of works and Sarah is the way of grace. However, Abraham does it his own way. He said, I got this. And as the result, he continues, he continues that downward spiral that throws all, all of creation into the mess that we see throughout history and sometimes we see today. All right, so what's this doing in the Bible? Why is this here? Again, right, it seems to condone slavery, demean women, makes the heroes of the faith look like complete jerks. I mean, this is Abraham and Sarah, right? The father's of the faith. You're like, whoa, what is going on with these people? You see, sometimes when we read the Bible, we have a tendency to think that it's some sort of rule book. I need to read this and go, okay, what do I need to do? Okay, I need to do this. Don't do this. Do that. Don't do this. However, this story flips all that upside down on its head. Don't do what Abraham and Sarah does, right? Don't do that. It's not some sort of rule book that we look at and we follow these, these good examples. Instead, the Bible is the power of God intervening into the world to save moral failures like you and me. You see, it's what God has done to rescue us, to rescue you and me. Okay, so far we've seen, in one way or another, we're all slaves. That means trying to be good, trying to see moral examples can't free us. So what can free us? If we are a slave in one way or another, how can we get out of that? Well, only God. Only God can save us. So the second point here that we have is only God can free us. Only the love of God can free us. Here we have a mysterious figure that pops up in verse 7. The angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord found Hagar in the wilderness. Who is this angel of the Lord? Now, if you have um, read the scriptures um, in Genesis, a lot of times in the Old Testament, you see this word, angel of the Lord. Angel just means a messenger, right? So when you see you know, the word angel, all it means is a messenger. That's all it means. But he appears as the angel of the Lord. And we find out in verse 13, it says, So she, Hagar, called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. You are a God of seeing. That word is Yahweh the name of the Lord. This is God himself showing up to Hagar. God himself is showing up to her. The Lord found Hagar in the desert. And in verse 8, he, found, he said to her, 
Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? And the Lord talks to Hagar and gives her dignity. For the first time, Sarah, or Hagar is being addressed. She's being addressed, but she's being addressed by God. And he's asking her these questions. Where are you going? Where have you come from? But she only answers the first question. She's like, I'm fleeing. I'm fleeing Sarah. And interesting, that first question that she only answered, she has no idea where she's going in the future. She's lost. There's no future for her. She has no idea where she is going. But the angel of the Lord says to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. What? Are you kidding me? Hagar is sitting here, beaten, pregnant, runs from her mistress, and God goes, go back? Are you serious? Why would he say something like that? Why would he do that? You see, sometimes, sometimes God takes us through a difficult journey. And those difficult journeys are meant for a reason. Sometimes they're meant to strip away those things that we put in place of God. And God wants us to come to a place where we have deep joy and peace and satisfaction. And the only way to get there is through a difficult journey. And here, Hagar is a pregnant, runaway slave in the desert. She wouldn't be getting too far before something devastating would happen to her. And God knows that. And he wants to take care of her. He wants to provide for her. And he wants to send her back to Abraham and Sarah. But he doesn't send her back empty-handed. He sends her back with a promise, a promise of the future, a promise that will completely change her life. The angel of the Lord in verse 10 says to her, I will surely multiply your offspring that they cannot be numbered for their multitude. Almost the same exact promise that God gives to Abraham and Sarah, he gives to Hagar as well. It's like winning the lottery for somebody who comes from Hagar's background. Could you imagine a slave, right, with nothing going for them? And all of a sudden, be like, I will multiply your offspring as well. You are going to have meaning and purpose for your future. And in verse 11, the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall have a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord listened to your affliction. You see, Ishmael means God hears. God hears. So every time she calls the name of her son Ishmael, she is reminded that God hears me. God hears me. But here it says that the Lord heard your affliction, heard your misery. It doesn't say that God heard your prayers. Hagar wasn't crying out to God. She was sitting there. God sought after her. I'm so glad it says that. Sometimes, sometimes we're just in just so much pain that we can't even cry out. We can't say anything. But God sees us. God sees our hurt. He sees our confusion. 
God hears us. Have you ever heard the phrase, God helps those who help themselves? Ever hear that? Yeah. I call bull on that. Are you kidding me? Look at this story. She cannot help herself. Sometimes we cannot help ourselves, but God seeks after us and finds us. And here we have this significant turn of events where this runaway slave, about to resolve herself to death, encounters the God of all creation. And if we look at verse 13, so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. Abraham and Sarah never saw Hagar. They never saw her for who she is. But now Hagar knows that God sees her. God cares about her. God has a future for her. The Lord sees me, hears me, seeks me, finds me, and here gives me hope for the future. And then the verse continues on. And we see, truly, I have seen him who looks after me. The Lord has listened to your affliction. Hagar, God called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. This messenger is distinct from God. And at the same time is God. The angel of the Lord is a mediator between Hagar and God. He intervenes and speaks on her behalf so that we can see God. Fast forward in time, at just the right time in history, this mediator comes to earth. God becomes flesh. And in, in, in John, it says that God put on flesh and lived among us. God saw us in the desert. He heard our misery just like Hagar. He came after us to find us. He relentlessly pursued us even into death. And there, the mediator took our sin upon himself. Our sin of treating others like objects and not people, of using instead of serving them or loving them, of listening to the, the voices of, of culture instead of the voice of God. Jesus took our prejudice and our injustice upon himself, and he died. He died for all of our sins so that we can see the Lord. He died and he gave us freedom. You see, everything that Jesus Christ has done, all of his perfection, the life that he lived, that perfect life on the cross was given to us. And every broken thing, every sin that we committed, past, present, and future, was placed on him at the cross. It's that great exchange so that God no longer sees us as broken, sinful individuals, but sees us perfect in the light of Jesus. Absolutely amazing. Listen, only the love of Jesus can free us from this bondage, the, to absorb that love of God. Only the love of Jesus can set us free from the chains of those cultural expectations, from fear, from guilt, from drivenness, from despair. Do you know this type of freedom? Have you experienced that freedom that Jesus brings? If you have, then we have all the reason to rejoice this morning. For when we take communion and when we sing, we can rejoice in all of that. If you haven't, there'll be somebody at the cross during that time that, we, that will help pray with you. But what do we do with that freedom? 
when we experience it? How, how, how do we handle it? What do we do with it? Where does it go? Brings us to our third point. So we can now see others the way God sees them. You see, the Lord came to Hagar and saw her in her misery and blessed her. He sees her misery and he comes to her aid. You see, God cares about real world problems. He's not some sort of ethereal God that just, you know, does things flippantly. No, no, no. He cares about the details of your life. He cares about your children. He cares about your work. He cares about your school. He cares about the test you're going to take next week. He cares about those things, those little things in our lives, those big things in our lives, those things that we may think are mediocre. He cares about them. Real issues. And God frees us so that we can do the same. And as long as there's one person in our neighborhood, as long as there's one person in our city that needs help, it is our our responsibility to, like the angel of the Lord, to seek after them, to love them. And so that's why we're going through this church life series so that that we can can have God open our eyes and, and open our ears to these things. And in a few weeks, we'll you know, launch our, our crowded houses, our missional communities, and be a part of that. Right now, we as a leadership team are, 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 are walking through the, uh, the details of, of what that's going to look like so that we can use that freedom to love the people around us. So how can we do that? How? How do we step out? We did a couple of things. We're, we're writing names on cards. We're praying for them. We have a couple of um, first steps that we can make. But we can do this by seeing and hearing the misery of those in need. Don't close your eyes to them. Don't close your ears to them like Abraham and Sarah did. God has given us the ability to see those around us. Secondly, we need to resist the temptation to love and to serve and to give based on whether or not we think they deserve it. Because did we deserve it when God comes after us? No. Do I still deserve I still don't deserve it. Are you kidding me? I still don't deserve anything. And then lastly, give people a hope for the future. You see, as maybe as disgusted we might be this morning about Abraham and Sarah and what they have done, God still does amazing things through them. It's not over for them. He's still the father of the faith. If you feel like you've gone too far, that God can't redeem you, God still can't work in your life, maybe you screwed up so bad that you are done? No. Uh Uh-uh. If you're looking at your life, maybe you're not even close to Abraham and Sarah in the things that you have done. Maybe you're similar. Maybe you're worse. But you know what? God still works in amazing ways through very broken people. And sometimes the more broken you are, 
the more amazing things God does in your life. And I just want to remind us all of this story that it's not, it's not a story of, hey, you better do this in order for God to love you or for, in order for God to bless you. No, no, no. But rather, it's what God has already done for you and for me. And as a result, we just simply receive it this morning by faith. Receive what Jesus has already done for you this morning by faith. Will you pray with me?